thinking, no, I guess it didn't want to. Try take two. Oh, don't we love computers? Now it's thinking even more. What are we doing? It says recording. And on my welcome side. back, sports fans. It's another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess here, and as always, with my faithful co-host, Mr. Brad Cross. And Brad, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing better than our internet is, apparently. Sometimes technology, as we know, can be a little bit crazy with last week and all that with all of our struggles. But, you know, holiday season coming and going. We're finishing up getting ready for New Year's Eve tonight here in Iowa. It's been a really, really fun little crazy COVID Christmas, you could you could kind of say. And that might have to just be our, our episode title today, Crazy COVID Christmas. But it's been fun. Got to see the grandparents coming in from out of town. Had a nice, very nice Christmas Eve and Christmas Day celebration with the family. Uh, Donnie, what about you? How was your Christmas? Uh, very, very light. Um, just with celebrating with the, my mother, my mother and brother. Unfortunately, after losing my father this year, it was kind of it was kind of a, a morbid Christmas a little bit. But we did our usual Christmas tradition. I saw my grandma. I saw my grandmother who who's been uh, fighting with dementia a little bit. So it's been been kind of a bluesy little Christmas for me a little bit, but it's, it's been, it's been fun, but, and I, I, I love your idea. So I think I would definitely name this the COVID Christmas crazy episode, COVID Christmas, yeah, the crazy COVID Christmas, the triple C of this year. Um, so we'll just, we'll go right into our game plan and ladies and gentlemen, we'll, we'll just very simple um, to start off. We will talk about how COVID has totally and completely changed every single sport that Brad and I love to talk to. It is hockey, it is football, it is basketball, and it is college football have all been interrupted by this Omicron variant and everything. So we will discuss everything that has happened over the last couple of weeks over this Christmas holiday. We'll really quickly, we'll go into football and talk about the games that have been played, what all games that have been played and what impact they have had. A few doozies, especially in the festive area of the football in England. We'll talk college football it's come. It is here. As Brad said, it is New Year's Eve, which means the two semifinals of the college football playoffs are happening today. We will quickly again discuss those two matchups, what we like, what we don't like, who's going to come out victorious and who will be playing in the national championship in a little over a week. And then a quick rundown of some of the bowls still to come left in this bowl season, including our beloved Iowa Hawkeyes uh, tomorrow against the Kentucky Wildcats. And then we will end the episode as per usual with Brad's crazy stat of the week. Let's go, sir. I mean, how do we not say it? COVID has really changed the Christmas holiday. I mean, just looking at it, we'll start in football. So many cancellations in the EPL. There's cancellations and a change in the Scottish Premier League. They moved up the winter break a few weeks. So many games being canceled in all of Europe. Yeah, and th- there were so many games that were that were canceled or postponed or whatever, and and I think I, if I saw correctly that there were I think what like six games scheduled for for one day, and we only got two out of the Premier League. I think that was was that Boxing Day was that was that close to Boxing Day? I think it was. I think it was before. It was Boxing. Or, it was either Boxing Day or the or the round before, and we were supposed to have ten games and only four played. Right. Yeah, so that, that I mean, that kind of just goes to show just how crazy that this has been. And I, I feel kind of happy for the other leagues that kind of went into a winter break and they kind of are getting to ride this out a little bit as much as possible. I, I think I saw La Liga is going to be reducing capacity to 75% for at least the near future. 
Bundesliga already had some capacity changes, so we'll have to see how that goes. And it'll be very interesting to see these teams that were in leagues with a winter break when they come back, just how everybody is getting on with the Omicron variant being active and spreading around the globe. And we'll just have to wait and see if we're able to get everything played out there as, as well as it can be played. And then kind of going off of that, I mean, going into, we, we don't usually talk about these, but the NBA and the NFL, I kind of wanted to talk about just briefly because the, the COVID changes that have either forced games to be postponed or crazy roster decisions. I remember there was a game that the new Orleans saints were playing in recently where their starting quarterbacks have been out with an ACL for the year. So he's not there anymore. So then they go back to their second and third string quarterbacks who are both out with COVID protocols. So they ended up having to start a fourth string quarterback, Ian book on Monday night football. And I think that that in itself kind of just summed up this whole thing and this whole crazy COVID Christmas perfectly. I mean, you're getting down to third and fourth string guys. You're, you're seeing basketball teams only able to dress seven players and it's, it's just going crazy. I mean, heck it's even going as far into hockey. I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll go ahead and let you talk about that a little bit with the, with the IIHF women's under 18 championships getting canceled again. And then the world juniors getting canceled after it had already began. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. The fact that the the the, I, the double IHF actually canceled everything after January, but we're still going to go with the World Juniors, even being in Canada, being up in Alberta, in in uh, in Edmonton, and Red Deer. And the tournament started, and then a couple of cases popped up in the U.S., and then it exploded. And and unfortunately, with the double IHF rules, is is if you are in quarantine, you have to forfeit the game. So the U.S. actually lost its second game that it was supposed to play, and all heck broke loose. And it's just been kind of crazy. And we won't open the can of worms. That's the canceling of the IHF under 18 women's, which is the second year in a row. And again, a really kind of lackluster explanation for that. We're not going to really go into that because I, I try not to dive into the, the political things, but it is rather frustrating that these young ladies again get a tournament canceled and really a, a kind of pathetic, and I hate to say that word, pathetic excuse for why they're doing it. it really what did come down to, they said it was this, but if you really look at it, I don't think it was that black and white, but let, let's not open that can of worms. And then to stay in what we've always talked about, the NHL, oh my gosh, just before, just before the Christmas break, just before the Christmas break, Half the games were being canceled. They had over 120 players in COVID protocol. It's not getting any better. It's just absolutely insane. I think there's only been a total of like 15 games that have played since Christmas because they had to, they stopped the season. They've already announced that they're not going to, they're not going to the winter Olympics here in February, which is now thrown a lot of countries for a loop because some of the best hockey players in the world play in the NHL. So now they're having to scratch together teams for this particular Olympics coming up here in February. So as we can see, COVID has really run rampant. And, and, and I don't think we actually even didn't even discuss the fact we've lost five bowl games, five college bowl games have been canceled due to some kind of outbreak on one or both of the teams competing. So it's been really kind of, you never know if your game's actually going to go as a college for the college bowl season. So it's been really kind of crazy. So our, our Christmas gift, unfortunately, was the COVID was the COVID outbreaks in all of these sports. So 
taking a break last week due to our, our technical difficulties kind of was a blessing in disguise because right. there was a ton to talk about, but not always all of it on field. So I think now that we've kind of talked about how COVID has kind of run through, let's talk about what has happened. There hasn't been a lot. So let's, let's start off with football as we always do. And again, there's not a lot of games being played during this season, except in England and, and the English Isles. Like I said, Scotland, unfortunately, moved their league, moved their winter break up. So there haven't been many games there. We look at the EPL. Man, there have been some upsets, I have to say. And the biggest one, it's hard to argue. Seeing Liverpool drop that game to Leicester City one to nothing was a shocker. I mean, I, I hate to almost say this. Some of the announcers, is Liverpool out of the already out of the premiership already? You know, it's funny because it's going to come down to the African cup of nations of all things, because right now you're looking at a Liverpool side with, with Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah up top. And those two guys are all but likely going to end up going and playing the African cup of nations with Senegal and Egypt respectively. And so you look at the table right now, if Liverpool, Liverpool right now has one game in hand. So if they can win that game in hand, there would be six points behind Manchester city. But if they were to lose that game, and go level on games played, but nine points back with the addition of several African players going overseas to play in the African Cup of Nations, it could end up getting to a point where you don't have a full-strength Liverpool team to be able to go blow for blow with Manchester City. So it's really going to be interesting, but I don't think they're necessarily completely out of it yet. But I, I think that they're really walking a tightrope here, especially given the fact that you've got Arsenal who are close behind. West Ham's a little bit further behind, as are Manchester United and Spurs. But Liverpool are definitely walking a tightrope here, as are Chelsea, quite frankly. Chelsea, eight points behind, level on games played right now. So I, I think that Chelsea is a little bit more in a, in a tight spot than Liverpool is right now. But if we go ahead and take a look at a couple of the other games here, Let's take a look at the goal fest that was Boxing Day. I mean, Manchester City and Leicester City, nine goals between them, six to three for Manchester City, a 5-0 drubbing at Carrow Road for the Arsenal. They get the 5-0 win there. Tottenham, 3-0 winners over Crystal Palace. Southampton go to London Stadium and get a 3-2 upset win over West Ham. 3-1 win for Chelsea on the road at Aston Villa. And Brighton and Brentford go to a 2-0 in favor of Brighton and Hove Albion. So let's go ahead and take a look one more time at that table. You got Manchester City and Chelsea in the top two spots, level on games played. City on 50 points, Chelsea on 42. Then behind them are Liverpool and Arsenal, both on 19 games played. Liverpool at 41 points and Arsenal on 35 points. So, you, I mean, let's talk about Arsenal real quick, Donnie. I mean, I remember earlier in the season, we were joking that they were at the bottom of the table after two games. They were like, oh, look at look at this now, guys. Screenshot it. Might not happen again. Arsenal at the bottom of the table. And look at their rise. I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe, look at – you're talking about um, – Martinelli is the guy I was trying to trying to get out there. But you're, you're talking about these young guys on Arsenal, Ramsdale and goal as well. But Arsenal have really started a little bit of a youth revolution under Arteta. And so, I mean, they're not, they're probably out of the, the title race this year right now, but they're, they're starting to look a little bit more like the Arsenal of old right now. I mean, they still got a long ways to go to be able to cement themselves a European spot, but credit to Arteta, credit where it's due. Arsenal are really looking good right about now. 
Yeah, completely agree. If you if you look at the way they were playing at the start of the season, they were dreadful, but they have really, really come together. I think Arteta's finally kind of grabbed these players by the scruff of the neck, kind of shook them and went, hey, you're a much better team. You are Arsenal. I mean, it's no offense to the to the the Norwiches, the Brighton Hove Albiums, the Brentfords, but you're Arsenal. You should not be where you were. So it's it, it's very intriguing seeing this Arsenal team just because they, they have. They've started to win. They've started to win games that earlier in the season they were dropping. So it would be very fascinating. And, and here's the best part. Tomorrow, January 1st, what's the first game of the EPL? Arsenal v. Man City at home in Arsenal. So this will be fascinating to see. Here's your litmus test as Arsenal for real. Can they give Manchester City a play? Because it's hard to argue Manchester City are humming. They are playing some of the best football in the entire league. And I think that's the reason why I see some of the announcers kind of already starting to crown Man City because, as you said, the African Cup of Nations really affects Liverpool, but really it doesn't really affect Manchester City. Many of their players, none of them are connected to African sides. Yeah, Mares, and that's pretty much it. And yep, and that's it. And I'm not, and I'm not sure if he even taking him out. They've still got so many weapons still there on the bench. I mean, when you've still got Phil Foden can ride the bench, when you've got Jack Grealish riding the bench, how scary is that for this Manchester City team? Again, we don't know how injuries will go, and then once we start getting into February and you have midweek games, we'll see. But it is an interesting conversation starter that Liverpool has are Liverpool is starting to fall back a bit. Well, and we're talking about Chelsea and Liverpool being top three. How about a matchup between the two of them at Stamford Bridge on Sunday at 1030? How, how's that for your little Sunday brunch game? That's going to be a huge one. And another one, I let, let's go ahead and take a look at the bottom of that table real quick. Let, let's go down specifically to the relegation. So you, we've got Norwich, who has kind of started to figure something out a little bit. They've won a couple of games. They've gotten a couple of draws in, in between here and there. But we also have Newcastle sitting in 19th, and they're on 11 points right now, just two points out of 17th. So we're going into the transfer window. It opens up tomorrow. What is going to happen for Newcastle United? How is the new ownership consistorium going to spend that money, and how are they going to give the reinforcements that Newcastle and Eddie Howe need to keep them up? Because right now, Forget next year. Forget their big European aspirations. They have to start off by surviving this year. And you're talking about Eddie Howe, who is a manager who has seen and seen and done his fair share of Premier League survival jobs with, with Bournemouth over the years. Now he's got the mighty job at Newcastle. So you're, you're talking about a really interesting development here. And right above Newcastle is Burnley. And they're they're only on 16 games played because they've had quite a few get canceled due to COVID. So you're talking about a Burnley side and then right and the two spots above them is Leeds and they play each other on Sunday. And that's going to be a very interesting game with relegation, a very big talking point in that game. So that's the beauty of these leagues. I mean, we get to talk about action at one hat, one end of the table, and then we still have action on the other end of the table. So there's always something to keep an eye out for in the EPL. Yeah, if I'm a Newcastle fan, it's a little frightening seeing the fact that Burnley, the other team in the relegation zone, has a three games still to play on you. Wanford, who's your next, who's your next just outside of the relegation zone, has two games on you. And Leeds also has one game on you, considering the first team 
in the table with the same amount of games played as Norwich and Newcastle is all the way up to Southampton in 13th, meaning all the teams that they are chasing have at least one to three games in hand still to play. So that's got to be a daunting task knowing that you're already two, five, seven points behind and they have games still to play. What I, what I will say about Burnley, what I will say about Burnley is that they do have Leicester and Arsenal scheduled for the 15th and 22nd of January. So you're talking about those games in hand for Burnley. They could come back to bite them unless they can figure something out and pull off something special. Watford as well. I mean, they're going to have a couple of big ones coming up here. They've got Newcastle in a, in a, in a relegation potential battle and then Norwich. So you've got the, the relegation zone teams are going to be playing each other and it might end up turning into dog eat dog a little bit. And we're really going to start to see the relegation three drop and the rest of that table start to increase the gap. So you're, you're going to start to see the, 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 the grand scheme of the Premier League picture really come into focus over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely, for sure. It's very, very interesting to watch that. Now, the only other league that's had a few games is La Liga. Now, there hasn't been a ton of fixtures being played again with with many of these leagues. They have their holiday breaks, so they're not playing a lot of games as we speak. Now, now La Liga did play around since the last time we had a podcast. We'll, We'll just look real quickly at some of the results from that 17th, 18th, and 19th that wasn't fully done. And, and we got to say it, Barcelona gets a big win over Eche, 3-2. Villarreal knocking off Real Sociedad, 3-1. Getafe beating Osasuna. Cadiz getting a nil-nil draw over Real, with Real Madrid, a big point there for Cadiz. Valencia getting the 4-3 win over Levante. And Betis dropping a heartbreaker to Athletic Club 3-2. There's only been one game played since then, since that round. And that was early, that was earlier this morning as Espanol knocks off Valencia. So not a ton of games in Spain. So the, the table hasn't really changed a ton since the last time we chatted. The big, the big one for me is the weekend of the weekend, Saturday the 18th and Wednesday the 22nd. You're talking about Atletico Madrid, two losses for them, one against Sevilla and one against Granada, both on the road. And that has seen Atletico Madrid fall out of the Champions League spots down to fifth. So now you're talking about a, a Spanish La Liga picture. Let me let me just say this real quick. Real Madrid in first, you would expect that. As we expect, yeah. Sevilla, which are uh, okay, they've been there, done that. They're they're all right. They're always around. The, they're always around right. that space. Real Betis in third, and Rayo Vallecano in fourth. You're talking Betis and Vallecano, who are. I mean, I think we can safely say that they are not amongst the big boys in La Liga, but now not you're normally. seeing them. Yeah, you're <laughs> seeing them directly above Atleti. Sociedad, Barcelona, and Valencia. You're, you're, you're talking about them. Tenth. Exactly. I mean, th- this is really turning into a very interesting second half in La Liga to see whether or not Atleti can, fi- can figure it out and get back up into the picture, whether Barcelona can figure it out, get back up into the top four. I, I think it's gonna it's doable for both of these teams. You're looking at Barcelona down with, on 28 points and up to Vallecano in fourth place. They're on 30. So is it doable? Yes. Is it going to require a bit of a culture change and some reinforcements to be brought in? Yes. 
Now, I would like to get your opinion on the on the thought of this. I mean, we've been looking at the transfer mill a little bit. We, we've seen rumors of Dest leaving and perhaps even Christian Pulisic coming into the Camp Nou to play under Xavi at Barcelona. I mean, you're talking about a Barca team with, with the likes of Cochino, Dembele in the wings, who they've brought in on big transfers before. They haven't necessarily panned out. Malcolm is another one, the young Brazilian as well, who's since moved on. So is Christian Pulisic possibly a good option, or is he another one that you're, you're kind of like, I don't know if, if Barcelona is a good move at this time? There's two ways to look at it. If you're an American fan, you are screaming, no, no, no. You do not want Christian Christian Pulisic in the dumpster fire that is Barcelona. And again, Barcelona fans, I apologize, but that is the truth. Your club has become a dumpster fire with everything that has happened, especially losing Messi. But the thing, though, is, is that could it almost be the best place for Christian because Right now, he's not getting a lot of minutes at Chelsea. He's it, like it, that fringe player. He, exactly. He's like he's he's so close to being a regular starter, but he's not getting those normal first team minutes. Kind of same with Lukaku at the moment at Chelsea right now. We'll mm-hmm. we'll save that for another time. But yeah, like you're saying, Christian, he needs more regular playing time. And as crazy as this might be to say, Barcelona might actually be somewhat of a decent like theoretical fit even though like you said that, that Barcelona has turned into a bit of a dumpster fire but it, it very well could actually be a, a, a smart-ish type of move for Christian yeah and that's why that's why I kind of stated it the way it is as a lot of American fans just they'll see the way Barcelona has been playing and the way everything goes and they don't want him to go but as I said, the issue that he's having is, is when you have Ziyech, when you have Havertz, when you have Werner, when you have Lukaku, there's a lot of firepower that Chelsea has brought in over the last couple of years, and they all play the positions primarily where Pulisic likes to play, where if he goes to Barcelona, he really is that next option if Dembele doesn't work, if Dembele doesn't work out, if Coutinho doesn't work out. So it almost might be the 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 kind of blessing the blessing in disguise kind of because he would be going a place where he'd get more minutes yes he may be going to an inferior team in the long run and this is weird saying that chelsea is a bigger team than than barcelona that those weird words sound weird coming out of my mouth but it does almost almost kind of be a fit the thing that frustrates me is the fact is where is certain where is Serginio Dest going to go because I have this heard is, I have heard Arsenal and Bayern Munich as two big as two big targets because Bayern needs a little bit of help at fullback as does Arsenal but the question is is that we all know that Serginio Dest does not necessarily defend that well so if you bring in a Serginio Dest do you want him to play as a defender or do you potentially have him up further up the field than kind of like a 3-4-3 three, three is kind of that wide wing back type of role like we've seen like a Marcus Alonso for Chelsea or an Azpilicueta or something like that. So that that's, that's I think, just as big of a question sur- surrounding Serginho Dest as the question of where he will play is going to be. Exactly. And I think that's the, the biggest fit is where is he going to have the maximum amount of impact for his game? 
and that is not going to deter the teams. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see at it. Arsenal, I could see a fit there, especially having Kieran Tierney on the left-hand side, who's very similar. He's primarily an offensive style of fullback. He can play a little more defense than, than I think some people give him credit for, but I, I think it may fit. The question is, can they get a little bit more of a defensive style midfielder to kind of help him? when the ball comes to his side, because I think that's the issue is he's not a great one-on-one defender, a a little bit, almost like Trent Alexander Arnold. He may be one of the best crossers in the world. Defensively, he's a little bit of a liability at times. So I think that's the reason why Joel Matip and and Van Dyke have been great additions to the Liverpool midfield, because they kind of help that, that the weakness that is Trent Alexander Arnold's defensives. So I think that's kind of, now, I'm not comparing Destin Alexander-Arnold. That's two completely kettles, right. different kettles of fish there. But that's kind of what I mean is that you kind of need that defensive-style midfielder or a really strong center back to be able to make up for that lack of defensive ability on, on your right-sided fullback. So it'll definitely be interesting um, to see kind of how the, the, the transfer market – I'm also kind of seeing with the Omicron variant – does that affect teams purchasing and where they come from and right. how I think honestly, and, and, and maybe this is a little bit of, of me personally, all, I mean, everybody knows I'm, I'm a diehard Celtic fan. They've already done the three transfers that have been talked about for months. They are already done legitimately done before the transfer window is even open. They have already agreed to the fees and everything. They've already got their medicals done. I think, this is going to be the way a lot of teams can do it. They're going to do a transfer. They are going to do it early. This is not going to be, a, I think transfer deadline day is going to be the deadest tra- transfer deadline day ever. I think everybody's going to be done two weeks before deadline day because with, um, with isolation periods, with quarantine periods, you These might guys, see an abnormally large amount of pre-contract signings as well. Exactly. And I and I see that really – I think this is going to be a very interesting January period because the teams that are going to spend, I think they're going to spend early because they need these guys getting in there as soon as possible because of quarantines, because of everything like that. So it would be very, very fascinating to watch that. So I'm, well, and the, and the good thing is, is that we're going to have several episodes coming up over the next month where we'll be able to talk more and more transfer craziness, which is about to come up. But I think for right now, I think, should we go ahead and switch to bowl season, Donnie? I think it's about that time. I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great transition. We, we talk about it. We, we got to go to the bowl season and, and, and let's, let's do it real quick. Um, <laughs> Yesterday, yesterday saw us a little bit of controversy in one of the bowls. Did you see the ending of the Tennessee Purdue um, bowl game? Did you see the oh, end of the Music goodness. City Bowl? I, I saw, I saw a little bit of it. I didn't completely see the ending because I was trying to do some stuff around the house. But for for those of us who need a little bit of explanation, go ahead and fill us in. Well, basically, this game went to overtime, and in the last possession that Tennessee had. Again, I think it depends on who you're supporting and who you're cheering for is how you see this. The the Tennessee running back on a fourth down play is tackled, but I don't see, and this is maybe, this is me. I'm trying to play neutral here. I I do have a little bit of love for the Tennessee volunteers having family in that area of the country. Um, I don't believe he was stopped. His knee wasn't down. His forward progress wasn't, and he reaches the ball over the goal line. The play is reviewed and deemed the correct call that he didn't make it, and Purdue has won the game. And oh my gosh, has the social media lost its mind over this? I mean, it's 
I, if I remember correctly, that's a TD was trending for several hours after that game was over, just because there were pictures down the sidelines and everything like that. And again, a big win for Purdue, but a little bit of controversy. So, so that's kind of an, an interesting uh, last few days that the changes, the fact that Rutgers, can you believe this Rutgers played a bowl game today? After not being in a bowl game because Texas A&M had to bow out due to all of their COVID issues, Rutgers played Wake Forest today. Wake Forest with a big 38-10 to win earlier today. So this has just been absolutely insane. But I, I think, let, let's, I, I, I don't know about you, but we are recording on New Year's Eve. And what's today? Today are the two semifinal Playoff playoffs. Let's talk about them really quick. Let's start off with the first one, the one that's about to start here in just a little over 45 minutes, and that is number one, Alabama, versus number four, Cincinnati. Sir, how excited are you for this football game? And I know we chatted about it a little bit, but who do you, who do you see coming out? It's been a few weeks since the last time we discussed it. Who do you see going on to the national championship game? Cincinnati by a million. No, I, I wish. <laughs> um, my, in, in short, my prediction for the game is that Alabama ends up winning. Um, I, I do think that Cincinnati is going to make it a little bit tougher than people are, are making it out to be. Um, I, I think that, yes, they've played a bit of an inferior schedule. And by a bit of an inferior schedule, I mean a much inferior schedule to that of Alabama. But I, I do. I love the storyline. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good storyline. And so being able to see the first non-Power 5 team in the playoff is something that I think a lot of neutrals want to see. And yes, I, I do think that it kind of sucks for Cincinnati that, oh, you won. You finally got into the college football playoff as a non-power five school here play Alabama. But um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough one. I think that Desmond Ritter is definitely going to have a hard time getting himself set up in the, in the Cincinnati backfield, just because that, that Alabama defense is very good. And it's, it, it hasn't been exactly the best like Georgia's has been all year. But I, I think that Alabama's defense is it, – it's, it's still Alabama. You, it, you, have to, you have to see reason to pick against them before you pick against them because just that's just how they operate. That's how, that's how good they are, and that's how good Nick Saban's been able to build this program. But um, I, I think that Cincinnati's going to keep it close for a little while. But I think come the second half, you're going to see you're going to see the floodgates open up a little bit more. And I, I think that it's going to be more along the lines of a 45 to 20 type of game. I, I think Alabama starts to build up that lead in the second half and start to build it up a little bit more. But I'm going to go Alabama 45 to 20. See, here, here's the thing. Surprisingly, what actually what you said is what most actual predictors have been predicting, that Cincinnati's going to stay in this football game. Cincinnati's going to make it a game. Cincinnati's going to be within a few touchdowns. I've said from the beginning, God bless you, Cincinnati, for getting in there. But here's the thing that most people don't want to hear, and it's Cincinnati fans especially. Cincinnati's in because they had no other choice to put them in because Clemson shit the bed. Let's just be honest. They did. Oklahoma fell apart again, not trying to pick a stat, but they did. And that Oregon hurt. lost to Oregon lost two games to Utah that they shouldn't have lost. Let's just be honest. If All any right. of those, if any of those three teams win, they're in, I don't like it. I I'm thankful that Cincinnati's in, I'm almost happy, but I'm really, really worried that this game is going to get out of hand. 
and 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 I I respect everybody's like Cincinnati's got great corners. Yeah, they got good corners, but they haven't faced the receivers they're going to face. I this mean, year. heck, if Notre Dame had beaten Cincinnati, Notre Dame would be in the playoff right now. Exactly, and there, there's no other argument with that. And Notre Dame, all due respect to Notre Dame, they weren't that good. If they weren't a great football team this year, they were good. They weren't great. I'm worried this game gets out of hand. I'm worried at halftime this is at least a three-touchdown lead. That is what I'm worried about. I don't want it to happen. I really don't. But I've said from the beginning, and I mean it, I think Cincinnati gets blown out. I do not think this is within three touchdowns. That's just my honest opinion. I, I think I think this is over at halftime, legitimately over at halftime, because Cincinnati has not seen the receivers. They haven't seen the offensive line that Alabama has. And it's Nick Saban. He's had two months. He's had a month and a half to prep for this Cincinnati team. And this is the best defense that Cincinnati's going to see all year. Ritter's a great quarterback. There's no doubt about that. Ritter's a great quarterback. But does he have the offensive weapons to beat that stout, very good, very disciplined Alabama defense? Again, I, I want it to be close. I, I think one of the biggest keys is the the Cincinnati offensive line. If they can give Ritter that um, that that little bit of time that he needs to either make a run play off the end or find a receiver open, then I, I think Cincinnati will be able to stand a much better chance against Alabama. If the O-line of Cincinnati does not hold up and Alabama is able to get a lot of pressure on Ritter and get into his face, then there's no chance for Cincinnati. I mm-hmm. mean, that, that that's, that's, the be- that's the best way to put it. You're, you're talking about Bryce Young on the other side who pretty much he, he can pretty much do with, with 0.5 seconds in the pocket and he could still find the, the ideal play because he, he's just an incredible quarterback on the other side. So really for me, the key is whether or not Ritter can get time to make a play. And if he doesn't, then they're really going to be in for a long afternoon down in Jerry world. Now let's it's, go ahead. Just, and just fl- before, just before we go, yeah, go I, I, I want, I want to say this, this is the one stat that I think is going to make or break this game. And whether whether that is correct or how I'm going, three and outs. Think about it. Cincinnati cannot have more than three three and outs this entire football game. And I know that's a really low number. They cannot have four or more drives without getting first downs because the longer that their defense has to stay on the field against Alabama's offense, the harder it's going to get. So I think three and outs over under, if they can be three or less they're in this football game if it's more it's going to be a long day yep all right now this is one i'm very interested in because i'm interested to see if either of us we we picked these games two weeks ago we we picked them then we i want to see if we both stand with our guts now because i'm sticking with my guts here and saying michigan's gonna win I've got a feeling that you're going to be sticking with yours and saying George is going to win. So we've got our little bit of differentiation here. Let's go ahead and get a little bit further into it. So this is the nightcap, 630, 630 on ESPN, the Orange Bowl down in Miami, Georgia Bulldogs, a three seed. Jim Harbaugh's Michigan Wolverines finally get over the Ohio State hump, over the Big Ten championship hump. They're in the playoff for the first time against a Georgia team who's been there and done that. Donnie, I mean – I'm going to assume that you're going to stay with your original pick and go with Georgia to win. I'm going to ask, why do you think they're going to do it? Because Michigan has not faced a defense like Georgia's 
and George and Michigan's defense has not faced an offensive line like Georgia's. And that's, and, and let me, let me explain the only offensive line close to the amount of beef that Georgia, that Georgia has is Wisconsin. And I saw Wisconsin's offensive line and I saw Georgia's offensive line, Georgia's offensive line dwarfed Wisconsin's offensive line. And w- Michigan's defense is a speed defense. It is not a power defense. Aiden Hutchinson is really good, but he has not faced the tackles the size of the Georgia, this Georgia team. This is, I just don't, I don't like the matchup. I really, really don't. Georgia's secondary is very good. Their backers are good. Their defensive line is good. Michigan needs to run the football to open up their passing game. If they can't run because of big Jordan Davis and those big defensive tackles that Georgia has, it's going to be a long day for Michigan. I think Michigan's got the talent to play with Georgia. Do they have the execution and the play calling to be able to do that? Because Kirby Smart, again, has just like with Nick Saban, Kirby Smart has had weeks to prep this Georgia team. All this entire time, how many people have been telling Georgia they're going to lose this game? How many people, I can't tell you how many pundits have already written Georgia off because of what they did to Alabama. All due respect to Michigan and Harbaugh, Alabama is a better team than Michigan. I don't, I don't think I'm jumping off too high a limb there. Georgia losing to Alabama is nothing to snuff at. The way they did, maybe a tiny bit. Michigan, all due respect, we're Iowa fans. That was not the greatest Iowa football team. That was not the greatest Iowa performance. So is Michigan as dominant as they showed in the Big Ten Championship? I don't know. Again, Ohio State's defense was their weakness. Their offense was their strength. Their defense was their weakness. They had so many linebackers out. I'm worried the hype that Michigan got after the Ohio State win and the Iowa win are going to go to their heads. And, and, and that's what I'm worried about. I think this is a football game. I, I, Michigan's too good a team to be to get blown out by Georgia. I'm just worried Georgia's got a little too much, and Michigan's not completely ready for what they're going to see because they've not seen anything like this Georgia football team. You remember the Iowa-Penn State game earlier this year? That mm-hmm. game turned into a field possession game. And I think that in order for Michigan to win, they need to pin Georgia back and they need to get them into a spot where they're having to go from deep in their own end, and they end up running out of gas as they go up the field. Now, I think that Michigan is going to run into a brick wall in terms of Georgia's defense, but that being said, I think that if Michigan can win the field position game and they can keep getting the football around their own 40-yard line and have a bit of a shorter field, that even if they end up running into a wall of Georgia defense, they'll still be able to kick field goals and win this game. Now, I I don't know if that's going to, I don't know if that's going to happen or whatever. I might, I might just be talking out my, out of my backside. I don't know, but I I would honestly be shocked if either team gets more than 20 or 24 points in this game. I think this is going to be a defensive game. I think that, I think that Georgia's defense, like we've said, is, is, is better than anything that Michigan has seen this year. I, I do think that the Michigan defense is more than Aiden Hutchinson. I think that there's a little bit more talent in there than some people give them credit for. So I think that this is going to be a field goal game. I, I think I'm going to go with my gut here. I, I'm, I really think that momentum counts for something. And, and and I might be completely contradicting what you're saying over there with your coach mind, but damn it, I, I, I really would like to see this happen. And I, I honestly think that it will. I'm going to go with Michigan 16, Georgia 13. I think that this is going to come down to the very last drive, and I think that Michigan is going to win the game on the last play with a field goal. 
it'll be interesting. Again, I, 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 I think this is going to be a football game. I think of the two games, this one is going to be the more competitive of the two because I think the teams are more similar. I, I just don't, I don't like, if I was Michigan, I don't like the fact that you've had nearly a month off where Georgia, you've had a month to stew. I mean, you got humiliated by Alabama, humiliated. If I'm Michigan, I'm a little, I'm a tiny bit worried that this Georgia team is going to come out and just want to literally lay into you. I mean, I think the first five minutes of this game, Georgia is going to want to hit and they're going to want to hit hard. And it's, does Michigan respond to that? It's, it's the old adage. What do you do when you get, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. I mean, that's, that's the old Mike Tyson quote is really kind of perfect here. And that's what I think is going to happen. Michigan can plan all they want for Georgia's defense. If Georgia's defense come out and punches them in the mouth and they don't respond, it could be a long day. I, I, I want both these games to be competitive. I really, really do. But I could see where both of them could get away from, Cincinnati or Michigan. I can see it. I, I really can't. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll, I'll tell you what I think is going to be another big key for me. I, I think that we talk about emotions running high in these types of games. You're talking about Georgia. You said they had a month to, to, to stew and Michigan who's had a month to kind of wait on it. Who is going to be able to keep their head? Who is going to be able to keep their emotions in check and not get any weird unsportsmanlike penalties or any ex- extracurriculars after plays and all that shoving people and all that, who is going to be the most composed and who, like you said, when they get punched in the mouth, will be able to rebound better and rebound quicker. I think that that's going to be one of the biggest keys in this game, but I think regardless, Donnie, I think that this is going to be an incredible football game. I really think that this is going to be the game of the day. And I'll go back. I think I think Cincinnati needs to temper their emotions in that game against Alabama. They cannot get overhyped. They cannot get themselves overhyped for this game because you don't want to adrenaline dump against this Alabama team. So right. I'm, I'm going to say that the first five minutes of that game against Cincinnati is, do they overextend? Do they try to do too much because everybody's been saying Alabama's going to win this football game? Alabama's going to win this football game. It's kind of like Michigan with both of them. It's is do the underdog teams try to do too much to make themselves eat more even. So I'm both games are very intriguing. Both games have these little storylines. I'm really looking forward to how does Riddler handle the Alabama defense? How does Alabama's offense, how does Cincinnati handle Alabama's offense and Bryce young? And the same thing other way, can Michigan run the ball against Georgia's front seven? Can Michigan throw the ball if they can't run it? Because if they can't, they're they're in trouble. And then Georgia's offense, how do they rebound against a, a good Michigan defense? Is it as good as Alabama's? We'll see. I am really intrigued to see this. Because I would be very interested to see if early in the game, Harbaugh dials up some sort of weird end-around trick play like they ran against Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be very interested to see if he dials up something weird and crazy for playoff time. Now, real quick, I, I hate to segue from this, but I'd like to kind of just just kind of go glossing over the grand scheme of the bowls real quick. And I was wondering if there's one moment in particular that really caught your eye, maybe not even not even on the field. Just what has been your favorite moment of the bowl season so far? Because this has been pretty crazy and unique this 21 bowl season. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go a little bit to heart here, and it's the fact that both academies got wins over good teams 
Air Force getting a win in their bowl game and Army taking down a Missouri team that I, I think a lot of people kind of saw that game going to Missouri and for Army to pull out a good win, a big win over Missouri. So there, there's the there's the little part of me, the little family history part of me that, that absolutely love to see Air Force and Army, the two academies that made it to bowl games, both get big wins. So congratulations to Army. Congratulations to Air Force on that. Yeah, I, I kind of set you up for this because I, I, I had to fit this in somewhere. So Oklahoma had their bowl game, a 47-32 win over Oregon. It was a very nice, very nice performance on the field. But I think the part off the field, Bob Stoops coming back to coach one time and he gets Drake Stoops, his son, to score a touchdown. And then after that, Drake comes over and gives Bob a big old hug on the sideline. And, and, and Bob put his arm around him and all that. And I thought that was awesome. After the game was even better because then once they got Bob Stoops up on the stand to collect the trophy, he calls Brent Venables, his old defensive coordinator, the old defensive coordinator at Clemson, the new OU head coach, up onto the stage. And Bob was always known for wearing, for wearing a visor on the field for every game. He'd have a white visor on all the time. He gets Venables up on stage and <laughs> takes his visor and puts it on Venable's head. And I, and I was just like, holy crap. It's like a passing of the torch slash passing of the visor moment. And I thought that that was just an incredible kind of, it just incredible symbolic moment in, in OU history. So I, I had to fit that in somewhere. I had to fit the, the OU fan in me a little bit. Got to, got to wrap up the season on a good note for Oklahoma and, and who knows, I, I, it's going to be very interesting to see how Venables goes about it next year and how he will, lead the Sooners going forward yeah really 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 good and, and I gotta say the slate tomorrow I, I I know I know everybody focuses on the championship games but the man the slate tomorrow just 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 going off this 12 o'clock the game I think both you and I will be sitting in front of the television for Iowa versus Kentucky I think this is going to be a great game I'm very fascinated to see how Iowa's offense does against a very athletic Kentucky defense that'll be fun to watch Penn State be Arkansas another game at the Outback Bowl I think is going to be fascinating to see is does Penn State come up to play this game and how does Arkansas handle it? That's a fascinating game. The Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, an absolutely cracking game of football. I'm very interested to see how this one goes. I'm I'm really intrigued about this. Utah versus Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. I'm I think this is going to be a very, very good football game. I, I think Utah has the skill and the talent to be able to stay with Ohio State. This will be a fast one. And, and the nightcap of that one all is Baylor and Old Miss in the Sugar Bowl. That is going to be a fantastic game. So looking at the slate tomorrow, what's what's the game? I, I, I know Iowa-Kentucky is a big one. What's the game besides Iowa-Kentucky that's got you intrigued for tomorrow's slate of football games? Well, I'll tell you what. It's really interesting. If, if we take Iowa-Kentucky out of this, so you go through and take a look at the spreads of all of these games. I mean, you're talking about Ole Miss is favored by one and a half. Ohio State is favored by four. Notre Dame by one and Arkansas by two and a half. So the, none of these games are currently slated as predicting uh, as more than a one score game. So you're talking about four games that could be very, very interesting games. I like the, the Rose Bowl matchup between Utah and Ohio State because Utah has been kind of that fringe team like we were talking about who they, they've been they've shown glimpses of just how good they can be. And then they've come they've shown the completely opposite end sometimes. And it'll be interesting to see how they go up against an Ohio State team 
which when they were on and on completely, they almost looked unbeatable. I mean, you're talking an Ohio State team that would likely be in the playoff right now if it weren't for them losing to Michigan in Ann Arbor. So I I think that that's a very, very good matchup there. And then the the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. I'd love to see if if Notre Dame can can keep up the role that they've been on in the late, in the latter half of the season. And then Oklahoma state, how do they react to almost making the playoff and getting beat at the very end of the big 12 championship by Baylor who themselves are in the sugar bowl. I think that's a really, really good matchup there. Yeah, it'll be absolutely fascinating. I'm so looking forward to it. And then our next podcast will come before the national championship game. So we'll be able to break down these two semifinals. I cannot wait for that. And, and sir, we've got, we've got a little bit of an announcement. Um, but we'll get to it. I almost forgot. I, I can't do that. I can't forget our favorite part of the podcast. And that is Brad's crazy stat of the week. Brad, what have you got for us this nice holiday holiday day? Well, I'm going to go back to the Purdue Boilermakers here. And we're going to talk about Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback of the Purdue Boilermakers. He threw for over 500 yards. He threw five touchdown passes, including three that were of 60 plus yards on the throw. And since 2000, there has only been one FBS quarterback to accomplish all three of those in the same game. And it was some guy, some weird guy. I don't, I don't know if many people have heard of him. His name's Patrick Mahomes. Like I, that's the only other guy who's ever done that since the year 2000. So credit where it's due to Aiden O'Connell. I mean, credit where it's due to the Boilermakers, albeit maybe in a controversial ending but a great job by O'Connell and the Boilermakers getting another win in the bowls for the big 10 conference. Absolutely. Fantastic one there. And I think, I think we have an announcement, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this podcast. We have a very special edition of the podcast coming out soon. You both know it. If you've listened to our podcast, we are huge Aussie rules football fans and footy is back in a little over a week as the AFLW is back. So Brad and I put our heads together and we thought, you know, I don't know what we want to talk footy as much as we can. So we are going to do an all AFLW season preview. We will talk over how things have won over the off season. Who's our likelihoods? Who do we think make the finals? Who is going to be raising the flag at the end of the year? Keep an eye on that. That should come out early next week considering the games will start in just a little over a week from recording today brad how excited are you aflw is back yes our swans are not there but we have one more season to enjoy without them and then the the bloods are in the competition yeah we might not be in the competition but we can boast the highest aflw membership number so we'll go ahead and hang our hang our hats on that for the moment But going into the 21 season or the 22 season, I should say, as we're about to tick into a new year here, um, it's really interesting. We got a lot of interesting storylines, a lot of new, exciting players coming into the league. And we've got a couple of of transfers that have happened, some some trades that have gone on and a lot of really interesting additions to a couple of these teams and a lot of teams that are really looking to make a push for for a premiership. So uh, I think that we're looking into a very exciting season of AFLW footy. And I'm very excited to be able to do a full preview episode here. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all goes down. 
Yeah, it'll be very, very much fun. That will be coming very, very soon. Ladies and gentlemen, that is another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. Again, thank you for listening. If you like what you are hearing, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends to let us know a couple of old boys from Iowa talking sports. Brad, another awesome episode. Thank you again for joining me, sir. Definitely. And happy new year to all of our listeners. Hope you guys have had a great holiday season and heading into 2022. We hope that you'll keep on listening into the new year and can't wait to hear from you then. Yeah, we cannot wait. Season two of the podcast. We'll start with that episode of the AFLW. We will see you again next week.